Hey guys, Alexa Curtis here, and you're listening to This Is Life Unfiltered. I hope all of you are enjoying your time at home so far. I know this is such a weird time for so many of us, and I just wanted to remind you that not only is it normal for you to feel kind of scared and alone right now, but it's also totally normal for you to not want to be doing absolutely anything. So whether it's five minutes a day writing in a notebook or 10 minutes a day trying to listen to Headspace, Don't force yourself right now to do something that makes you feel really stressed or even more anxious. Just give yourself a nice break if that's what you need. Before we get into this episode, make sure you're following This Is Life Unfiltered on social media at at T-I-L-U podcast, as well as at Alexa underscore Curtis, which is my personal social media. So today I've got Julia Borston on the podcast. She is the CNBC Senior Media and Entertainment Correspondent. She joined CNBC in May 2006 as a general assignment reporter. And later that year, she became CNBC's Media and Entertainment Reporter working from the LA office. Julia covers media with a special focus on the intersection of media and technology, which is kind of perfect right now because I know many of you who are really trying to focus on doing something at home are thinking, how can I utilize social media and technology to make something better after this ends? So in 2013, she created and launched the CNBC Disruptor 50, which is an annual list highlighting private companies transforming the economy and challenging companies and established industries. Julia, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I I know you've got such a long bio and an incredible list of (laughs) accomplishments, but figured you are probably better to continue explaining yourself. Oh, thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to to be here. And it is such a weird time for all of us. I mean, I'm working from home. I never thought it would be possible for me to be broadcasting and putting myself on TV from my house. So I feel like this is a really weird opportunity to figure out kind of what you're capable of and also just take a to take a step back and reflect on everything. I couldn't agree more. Well, I know that you have not only had an incredible career, but you've really disrupted the industry with your accomplishments. So kind of take us back to the beginning before you even thought about joining a company like CNBC, where you went to college and how you grew up. So I went to Princeton University. I was really lucky to be able to attend and I majored in history and I had just phenomenal experience there studying things which really have very little to do with my job now. To be honest, I didn't even take economics and I wasn't really interested in business at all. I was inter- I was interested in history. I was interested in telling stories. And I took a couple of great writing classes um, and my the most impactful on me was this creative nonfiction class I took with a New Yorker writer named John McPhee. And he was all about thinking carefully about every single word you chose and understanding that you couldn't just use limitless words. And at the time when I wrote, and I love to write, I would use tons of adjectives and adverbs and I would ramble on forever. And he was all about an economy of words. And that um, that class really made me think that I loved writing nonfiction. And after I graduated college, I wanted to go to grad school and I wanted to study international relations. And I wanted to figure out um, what kind of nonprofit I might be able to work at, ideally internationally, and do something that would be at the intersection of you know, companies and and cultures and um, and countries and understanding how governments and um, for-profit businesses could work together to help people. So that was my idea. 
And I never went to grad school. I never did anything but journalism, which of course is not at all what I intended to do. Um, but I thought before I, I had gotten into grad school in London and before I went, I thought I would take a year to, to spend working in New York at a magazine since I did like that world so much. And I applied to a bunch of magazines and um, I thought working at Time Magazine or Entertainment Weekly would be cool, but I actually got the best job offer from Fortune Magazine. And at the time, this was 2000, it was right, I got the job right before the market crashed and they offered me this job because I'd been um, an editor on the Daily Princetonian, which was a very intense job, which I had had all through college. And they took that as a sign that I knew how to work in a serious business, uh, a serious, you know, sort of business environment, a serious newspaper world. And they treated it as if I'd been working at a daily local newspaper. So I figured I should take the best job that I got. And that luckily enough landed me at Fortune right before they stopped hiring people because the market took a downturn. So I had this amazing education at Fortune magazine. And because I was so self-conscious about the fact that I'd never taken econ, I ended up totally overcompensating and getting all of the amazing editors there to teach me as much as they could so I could fearlessly read you know, all these different doc financial documents and filings and really be able to understand this business world um, that I hadn't really known anything about before. And I think because I didn't know anything about it, I ended up um, really making sure that I was comfortable telling these stories. And what I realized about business news is it's no different than any other kind of storytelling. You're just using companies as one of the characters in the story. I couldn't agree more. So when you were deciding about going to college, how did you navigate and decide to go to Princeton? I mean, did you have a list of places? You know, if you can kind of take us back to that time, because that's an incredible, incredible university. Oh, yeah. So I... Um, I went, I grew up in Los Angeles and I went to a high school out here and my parents, neither of them were from Los Angeles. My dad is from Chicago. My mom was from Seattle and they both said, we don't care where you go to school. We just think it's really important to leave LA. Los Angeles is a weird kind of bubble. And if you have any opportunity to leave LA, especially an opportunity to leave California, um, just to take it, to go as far away as you can, because you can always come back and back. And of course, now here I am, I've moved back to Los Angeles. But when I went and visited colleges, Princeton seemed the most like a real East Coast university with people with a huge diversity of opinions, people from the South, people from, inner, you know, overseas, just a real mix of people and opinions. And um, I fell in love with it as soon as I visited and I decided to apply early, which I think gave me an advantage in getting in. So is that something that you would suggest for students who are listening, going to college in the fall, kind of applying early? I mean, yes, I think, look, the, the whole university landscape has changed so much since I attended. And I'm, it's so much harder to get into any school now, especially Princeton. I'm sure I would not would not get in now if I were applying now. It's just the the competitive landscape is so much more intense. But I do think that if you know you would go somewhere and you make it very clear to them, you know, anyone would be, um, any university would rather have that piece of information that they know that you would be a statistic that would work in their favor and you would improve their yield. So I feel like that can't hurt. But I would also say that since I went to college, there have been so many companies offering educational res resources to people that have launched since then. And I look at companies like Udacity and Coursera, and I think that now there are all these great opportunities to help figure out what you want to do. I mean, when I went to college, I was interested in journalism and I'd worked on my high school newspaper and it was something I always felt compelled to do. 
but I didn't really think about it as a career. I thought I would go do something totally different. And I think now there are so many more opportunities to take very serious college level classes without paying for a university education before you get there. So you know what it is that you really want to study. And, you know, whether it's, one of these online courses that universities themselves offer or, or through a company like Coursera or Udacity, you can actually get yourself further along in figuring out your passion and what you would like to do with yourself. I think that's a great note. And especially right now to remind people who are like, what do I do all day? I mean, there's so many colleges and, and stuff online that are giving access right now to, to free things. But going into talking about getting your first job and, and even internships, how do you set yourself apart in a market that is so saturated? Um, you know, it's so funny that you say, I don't think I would get into Princeton now because I talked to so many people who went to Yale and Harvard and they're like, I wouldn't get in now. And I'm like, you all say that, <laughs> but I think you would all but get you know it. why I say that? <laughs> well, so I say that because I, um, every year Princeton interviews every single one of its, of the applicants. And so I volunteer every year to interview uh, high school seniors who are applying. And I love doing that because it's a little tiny, easy way for me to give back. But I also love talking to high school seniors from all over Los Angeles about what their lives are like and what they're doing and what they like to read and how they consume media. So for me, this is a fun little window into the world of high school seniors. And I am so impressed by all of these kids. And I feel like high school seniors now are so sophisticated and thoughtful and media savvy. And I think all of them should get in and, or at least most of them I've interviewed, I've been so impressed by. So, um, so I do think the bar is very high. Um, but what were you? What was your last question? How do you set yourself apart in a market if you are oh, just when you're out applying of, for jobs? Yeah, I think that um, for me, my strategy was to apply to a lot of places and take the best offer. Not take the job that I thought I was going to be interested in the most, but take the best job. I thought that I was going to find Fortune magazine dry and boring, but I knew that it was a better title. It was slightly more pay. There was probably slightly more growth opportunity. So I kind of ignored the fact that I was like, oh, this is not going to be as interesting as maybe a Time magazine. And then as soon as I got there, I realized how totally wrong I was. So I think sometimes it's hard to know what a job is going to be like until you're there. I mean, I was a senior in college. I didn't realize how much I was going to fall in love with business news and how much I was going to make it my life's work and how much I would, you know, move on to have this 13 year career that I've had at CNBC and I love business news and now I can't imagine doing anything different. So I think in a lot of ways, you just have to take the opportunity and know that you won't really know the experience until you've lived it. And sometimes I think just jumping in and giving it a shot and seeing if you do like it opens yourself up to a lot of opportunities. And I think now, especially the job market is going to be tight. I don't know what kinds of jobs are going to be more available or less available, but I think just making yourself um, open to to new things can end up yielding a lot of opportunities. And then I think also if you have a specialty, if you're an expert in one thing, if you have certain skill sets, you know, right now I have kids who are learning to code on code.org and Khan Academy. And if you have a little time to pick up some coding skills, any of these little skills, whether it's a language skill or a coding skill or a graphic design skill, any of that can be valuable. And I would just use this time now to figure out what you like doing and maybe get some more skills in that area and then highlight those skills when you're applying for jobs. And how can you use social media in a way 
to apply for a job or to set yourself apart, Julia. I mean, when you went to Princeton, I bet you didn't have the opportunity to DM someone on Instagram or maybe send a private message on LinkedIn to put yourself in that top tier of people, uh, or, or maybe you did, but um, but I don't know that you did according to um, the year that you went to college. So is that something now that if you were growing up and looking for a job, you would be DMing hopefully your future boss, or would you still go a more traditional route, send a solid email? Look, I think that social media is a huge opportunity, but it's also a risk. I think people need to realize that anything they post online is something that a potential employer could see. So if you have pictures of yourself at a party and your Facebook profile isn't private or your Instagram profile isn't limited to your friends, you just have to be really careful and maybe take a moment to go through and change the settings on the accounts that you don't want to be public to everyone. But then on the flip side of that is a huge opportunity. And if you are really passionate about something, if you want to work um, at a digital media company that's all about baking, this is the time to build up your profile show in your Instagram feed how much you love baking, give tips. And I think that if you want to be in the content creation business, you could just start doing it yourself. And that's something that's really changed a lot. If you want to be writing articles, if you want to be sharing videos, if you want to be an expert on something, make yourself an expert and start sharing that on social media. Follow other people in the field. If there is an area that you're really interested in, follow everyone in that world on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn. And start figuring out what they're writing about, read their articles, post their articles, and all of a sudden you can build a track record for yourself on social media that shows um, your expertise and that you're really passionate about a particular field. And starting that one-line pitch or breaking into entertainment how do you start and introduce yourself via an email? Even now, I mean, obviously you're at the top of your field, but I think it's kind of relatable that so many people struggle with, what do I say to this person who really inspires me or I really want them to mentor me and I have no clue how to even introduce myself to them? How do you go about that? Well, I have to cold email people all the time because I'm always trying to get new sources or ask people questions or I'm I'm emailing different contacts. And it's always hard to send a cold email like that. But I think, you know, Cheryl Sandberg in, um, has given advice, I believe in Lean In, about a mentor and the mentorship relationship. And people love to mentor, but they also want to feel like they're learning something in return. Not that they're necessarily getting something in return, but that is a reciprocal relationship. And I think the more that you can show um, that you're an expert or so in something or that you have a certain passion about something. If you want to get into the movie business, make a short film and share that short film as part of the dialogue. Instead of just saying, hey, I need you to help me or hey, I want you to be my mentor, say, hi, I'm interested in um, in working in this field. Here's some articles I've written and posted on LinkedIn or here's, um, here's a project that I did and here's a PowerPoint that I created, I think the more that you can have something to show, I think that becomes a real conversation starter. I think if you just send a blank email and ask someone you've never met to mentor you, it doesn't, it won't have as much resonance. It'll, it, it sort of requires too much on the part of the person answering um, to know how to respond to that. I agree. And I think that all the time, I, I even get emails and I bet that you probably get a plethora of emails. And the more of a cold email looks in a way that is so impersonal, people don't want to reply. And I think the reply that you'll usually get if you send that kind of email to someone that you want to mentor you is just how impersonal uh, the email kind of is. So let's talk about the transition from when you were in college to your first job. Was that right when you went to Fortune? 
Yeah. So my first job, I've been very lucky. I've only had two jobs in my entire life. I mean, I would say I would have, I've had multiple roles within each of these jobs, but I've only worked at two companies. So my first job was at a report as, as a reporter at fortune magazine. And then my second job was as a reporter for CNBC. And there was sort of a segue between the two, because after a year at fortune magazine, I started appearing on CNN and CNN um, started using me as a commentator to talk about the business news of the day. So they would bring me on and I would sometimes talk about my own stories. Um, but then after a while, probably about three days a week, I would join the anchors and I would start, you know, chatting with them about the news of the day. So that be, you know, TV was sort of something I always did on the side. And then after about five years of that, CNBC offered me, um, offered me a full-time job and it never occurred to me that I would leave the magazine world, which I loved, and I would go on to be a full-time reporter, but I figured I should try it out since it was a great opportunity and figured I could, I at the time thought I could go back to magazines if it didn't work out, but then lo and behold, the magazine industry um, cratered. And I, of course, discovered that I loved, um, I loved doing the TV news business. So I've really been very lucky to work at these two amazing companies and um, I just feel feel grateful to have had these opportunities where I'm at these companies that are both leaders in their fields and have been able to be entrepreneurial within those roles. Did you ever have any intimidation or nerves? I mean, going right into working at such big companies, how did you overcome any insecurities? I mean, did you know people when you were first entering those kind of brands? Um, no, I mean, look, I think... Um, of course, everyone feels intimidated. And I always think back to something that my dad used to tell me, which was, if you feel nervous and you think you're nervous, that feeling in your stomach, butterflies in your stomach, or like your stomach is wrenched, he would, be, he would say to me, Julie, that's not nervous. That feeling you think is nervous, that's actually excitement. And I would always feel super anxious getting on the elevator or going into a new new situation. And I would just laugh thinking about my dad trying to convince me that when I was feeling nervous, I was actually, that's really just what excitement feels like. So I do get nervous like anyone, but I feel grateful that I did, I did dance when I was growing up and I did a lot of performance. So I have some, some practice convincing myself to calm down when I'm feeling a, a little stage fright. Do you remember what your first time on TV was? I do. And I actually looked back at the video and I totally embarrassed myself. Oh my gosh, tell. They said, they said, thank you for joining us. And I said, thank you for joining us. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think also TV is different than print. And I think, you know, with print, I got used to interviewing people on the phone and being able to interview people in person, but not have it be recorded. And TV is just such a different beast. Um, but there's something nice about knowing that everyone messes up sometimes. And also you get to do it again the next day. So it's not like you only have one shot. And if you make a mistake, that's it. Um, you know, I see it, it's sort of reassuring to know that everyone can fumble a word. Um, and you just start to get used to the camera. So uh, I try to just keep my dad's advice in mind. I've done a lot of posts and whatnot on how to overcome public speaking. And, and apparently that is a huge fear for so many people. I never found myself ever getting scared of public speaking, but I guess it it's very 
relatable to get scared. So let me ask you that for students who are nervous about their public speaking classes. I mean, when you were first starting, what was something that you would say to yourself right before you would go on air that would make you calm down or even when you were at Princeton in any type of public speaking experience or encounter? You know, you know, I never really had a fear of public speaking, which probably explains why I ended up on television. But I think actually doing dance had a huge amount to do with that because I used, you know, when I was little, I danced in the Nutcracker and I did ballet and I did modern dance and I, I danced pretty seriously when I was growing up. And so I was used to getting on stage in front of hundreds or thousands of people. And so I didn't, um, you know, when CNBC was hiring me, one of my bosses was interviewing me and he asked me if I, you know, I hadn't, didn't have a background in TV journalism, you know, what, how did I become comfortable on television? And he said, so, you know, were you, did you do acting? Like, how did you become comfortable on TV? And I said, I had done dance. He said, well, if you can, if you can perform on stage in a leotard, you could come on TV in a blazer. This is much easier. And I think about that as well, because I think it's true. I think actually, in a way, being on TV is a lot less stressful than being up on stage in front of a lot of people, because it feels very intimate. You know, if you're in a studio, it's just you and your camera guy and your producer and a couple of people around. It doesn't feel like you're on this huge stage. And what's funny is now I'm broadcasting from home and it's literally just me and my podcaster and a light and a bookshelf behind me. So it feels, you know, I, I don't feel the, uh, the sense of, of lots of people watching me all at once. I know as someone who goes on air all of the time, isn't it kind of fascinating how you do that as a career, but so many people find themselves so nervous, even talking in a regular conversation. Yeah, I think it's, it's in so many ways, just a personality thing. And I think that public speaking is I think a little bit harder than TV because you can see the people out there, but you just have to convince yourself not to think about it too much. I mean, these, no one's out to get you. No one's, no one's ever rooting for anyone to fail. I think people always want to see you succeed, whether it's on TV or, uh, or on stage. Great, great point. So on the topic of networking, when you were going through your initial phases at these two different jobs that you started at, and then obviously ending up where you are now, how, how crucial was networking? was networking for you? Well, it, well, for me, networking is really important to build up my sources because my story ideas, my reporting is only as good as my sources. And it's really important for me to have a really wide assortment of people that I'm talking to constantly to get ideas about this beat that I cover, which is media and entertainment. And so um, when I was started off at CNBC in New York, or when I moved out to Los Angeles to focus on the entertainment, um, the entertainment business, I was just calling people, people I'd met at conferences. I was emailing people and setting up coffees or drinks. And I think just trying to contact as many people as possible to get the broadest sense of perspectives on what kinds of stories I should be doing or what's going on out there. So I think networking is very important. And I think going, whether it's like an industry happy hour or something associated with your university or um, going to conferences has been, you know, a really valuable way for me to start connecting with people. At the beginning, and friends of friends, if you know that there's a, a someone who, you know, you have a friend whose cousin works at a company that you're really curious about, offer to take him out to coffee, offer to swing by their office and ask for an informational meeting. Because um, if you make it easy for them, you never know what people might say yes to. At the beginning of when you were starting, though, uh, even going from college to, to your first job, 
what was a way that you would network if it wasn't conferences? And there's so many fabulous conferences, even like Create and Cultivate, but a lot of them are quite expensive, which aren't always accessible to people right out of college. Yeah, I think I would look for um, things in the industry that you're interested in and then look for happy hours or meetups or, I mean, look, everything is different now because nothing is happening in person. But I would ask, um, people I knew from home, if they had any people in New York, I should meet. And I would just ask everyone I knew if there was anyone I should meet who might be a good contact or source for me. And you know what? Half the people I asked didn't even respond to the email, but some of them were like, yeah, here, meet these two friends of mine who might be interesting. Or I know a bunch of people who work in finance who live in Midtown and maybe you can meet one of them, um, for, for coffee or lunch. And so I just really asked everyone. And even if just a small percentage of people, give you any feedback, that's still going to yield something. And I think just ending every conversation with, if there's anyone else you think I should meet, please let me know. It really opens up a lot of opportunities. Julia, there is a friend of mine who, uh, more on the entertainment background, uh, who moved to LA from New Jersey. She had done a lot of work at her college for kind of behind the scenes producing. And she wanted to really be an on-air producer or uh, on-air personality, quite similar to what you do. Uh, And she was quite frustrated because she had gone through so many meetings and talks with people and and cold pitching here. She just couldn't get that bite, that foot in the door, uh, frustrated enough that she wanted to move back after three months. What advice would you say to her? Well, I look, I think there are a lot more on-air jobs in New York than there are in Los Angeles. And I think the question is, what does she want to do? Is she a journalist? Is she like a lifestyle expert? Because I think the idea of being an on-air personality, I don't even know what that means. You know, I think it's the question of what is her expertise and what are the kinds of jobs she would want? Um, Like, what is the dream job? And then what are the other jobs at those organizations uh, that might lead there. I know that a lot of my colleagues at CNBC who are on air now started off as producers. Um, One of my colleagues, Courtney Reagan, who's amazing, she started off as a page in the NBC page program. And then she ended up as CNBC as a producer. And it was by volunteering to do extra hits and to help out when uh, when people were were really sort of strapped for time that she got an opportunity to get in front of the camera. So I think the question is, what is it that she wants um, to do what's her what's her sort of business value add, and then what are the companies that might have an opportunity for someone like her down the line? But I do think Los Angeles is tough. There just aren't as many on air roles here um, as there are in New York. Um, and then there's also the question of the local market, which is a whole nother story, which I don't know as much about because um, because I haven't had uh, I, I never worked in that local news world. Why do you think that LA is so much kind of different than, because I found that too, because I used to live in New York and it's a completely different ball game here. And I, I never could figure out why, especially in entertainment. Well, I don't know about entertainment, but the whole national news world is based out of New York. So because everything news related is going to be based out of there, you know, you're talking about the morning shows and the evening news, all of those shows are produced out of New York. So as a result, there's a whole ecosystem around that. And then what you have in Los Angeles or in San Francisco, for that matter, is you have bureaus. So with smaller offices with one or two reporters, and each of them is focused on a specific beat. Um, and that's sort of a, if you're talking about the national market, I think it's just because the home base is going to be New York. And then if you're talking about local news, there are obviously great local stations here and around the country. But I think if you're really breaking into TV for the first time, um, Los Angeles is a pretty big market. So that might not be the very first stop straight out of school. Got it. So you'd suggest maybe 
looking at other cities that kind of might get your foot in the door, say even going to like an Austin, Texas or Philadelphia. Maybe yeah, I don't, I don't know. There. Yeah. I don't know as much about these markets, but I think that they're, they're ranked based on the size of the market and how many people they reach and sort of the bigger the market is, the harder it is to, to get a foot in the door. But I think if she's interested in being on camera, the best thing to do is really practice and create a reel and a video. And now it's so easy to do that just with an iPhone, um, that whether, if she wants to be a reporter to do a practice story, um, and as a sample, just so can, people can see her and can see that she could put that kind of thing together on her own. Got it. Well, Julia, you have been such a blast to chat with. I know that you have to go back on the air momentarily. Uh, but any any last pieces of advice for those entering the job market or looking through jobs, uh, even, even during this time or after COVID ends? Yeah, I mean, I think that I never expected to fall in love with business news the way I have it. When I was 17 years old, I never would have dreamed that I would have ended up here. So I think just being open to any possibility is really important because you don't know what you're going to fall in love with until you start doing it. And I think just to follow the people and that that has sort of have your dream job and try to figure out what they did first or or start doing samples yourself, because I think now while we're all stuck at home, there are a couple good opportunities. And one is to start creating content in the field that you're passionate about. And the other is to, if you have anything you've ever been curious to learn, this is the time to do it. And there's so many free resources, um, educational resources about so many different things. And um, I mean, if I had free time right now, I want to learn how to code because it sounds so cool and it feels like a valuable skill. And I just think that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the number of classes and opportunities that are out there now. So, so try new things. You never know what you might love and, and, and figure out what kind of skill set would might help bolster a, a resume. I was just going to ask if you weren't working so much, what is what you would be trying to do during this time? Uh, well, coding? I am. Um, I have two little kids. I have two little kids and I'm helping them with their coding. And I have to say, I have been so impressed by all the digital resources that we've been using for them. And of course, before this, I was so worried about screen time. And now I'm just glad that they're able to learn something from home. Um, but I look, I, I love to, to cook and bake. And so my, my kids and I have been baking bread to, to do something chill. But I think learning, um, you know, I, I speak a, a little bit of Spanish and French. And I think I would I would try to study more Spanish and I would try to figure out this coding thing because everyone's talking about it and, and it seems pretty fun to learn um, if I had more spare time. I know. I always see Carly Kloss talking about coding and it, it actually inspires me to, to look into it. I actually have one last question for you. My last question is on the topic of kids and social media because this podcast does have a strong following of parents in addition to young people. How do you go about navigating the world of social media with your kids and, and as they get older, is that a concern? that you think about uh, as they grow into iPhones and, and all of that kind of stuff, social media. Totally. And luckily, my kids are too young for iPhones right now. They're doing their their online classes, but, um, but no social media accounts. It's actually what people don't realize is you're not supposed to have a social media account until you're 13. So when my kids asked, I said, well, it's against the law until you're 13. So that's a good answer for now. Um, and there's actually this movement called wait until eighth, where, uh, parents are trying to get, uh, they can try to convince other parents in their grade to sign a pledge saying they'll wait until eighth grade to get their kids smartphones with the idea that if, 
uh, a bunch of parents have signed on to this pledge, then it's easier for kids not to be the only one in a class in, you know, sixth or seventh grade whose parents haven't given them a phone yet. And the idea is that you could give them a flip phone or something that's um, less high tech to enable them if you need to, you know, to stay connected, if you need to pick them up after somewhere late at night or something. But that for the true smartphone experience, which is a lot about social media, you wait until eighth grade when they'll be 13 years old. So I think there's that, which a bunch of the parents in my kids' schools have signed, and hopefully everyone can keep to that pledge. But I think that for my own social media, I don't include my kids on my public accounts because it just doesn't seem um, doesn't seem like the right thing to do when they're so little. But um, but I do share share stuff on my private accounts. Yeah, I've seen a lot of parents talk about that, and especially parents who are in the public eye uh, about not really wanting to not only expose their children online, but since you have such a following, that can also kind of inspire other parents to be more careful because the internet is, is a really tricky thing. And I see a lot of stuff out there that, that not is, that isn't the best for people, but Julia, where can everyone find you on social media and on television? Well, you can find me on TV on CNBC. Um, we do live programming, uh, and I'm usually on between the hours of call it 8 a.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Eastern. And you can find me on social media on Twitter. I'm at Jay Borston on Twitter, and on uh, on Instagram, I'm at Julia Borston. And then I also have a page on Facebook, and you can also find me on LinkedIn, where I try to post stuff too. So. Um, follow me on Twitter. I'm probably most active on Twitter and Instagram these days. And I just try to, you know, share articles and, and clips of videos of things that I think are interesting. And, um, I hope everyone can stay safe, stay safe and healthy during this crazy time. Yes. Same to you. And thank you so much for taking the time to share your fabulous life so far with the listeners of This Is Life Unfiltered and major congrats to you. You guys who are listening and think Julia might be the one to give you any advice, I know she'd love to even look over a LinkedIn message um, and we'll reply if she can or a DM. Again, she'll reply if she can. And you can always head to lifeunfilteredwithalexa.com for a follow-up to every single episode of This Is Life Unfiltered. So if you have additional questions, you can comment below right on the website or send me a message too, and I will answer any follow-up questions for the episode. So stay super safe out there and healthy. Continue to stay inspired this week, and I will see you guys next week for a new episode of This Is Life Unfiltered. Bye, guys.